Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Sliding Doors 25, a podcast series to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the 90s movie classic Sliding Doors. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life and career, I've always been fascinated with the theory that everything happens for a reason, and of course the film Sliding Doors. Last episode, we uncovered the magic of that sliding doors moment that Helen, aka Gwyneth Paltrow, had on the tube, and the process of filming the two lives and, of course, that haircut. So the year is 1997, and filming has wrapped on sliding doors. But before it makes the silver screen debut, test screenings are hosted in front of an audience before the final edit is cut to get their opinions on all aspects of the film. But it didn't go, um, should we say, as expected. The first time we screened Sliding Doors to an audience was in New York City. Um, we had, it's a test screening where you invite members of the public to come into a movie theatre. That's John Smith, the editor of Sliding Doors. They've been, they've been stopped on the street like weeks ago, you know, and said, you know, would you like to come do a preview? And they get scorecards and you run the, you run the edit and you, what you basically, is, it's a bit of market research. You get feedback to see how an audience feels about the films. And I remember, and he's sitting in, sitting in the audience, you know, like 150, 200 people in the theatre. And as the editor, I'm sitting at the back, you know, and you, and it's a terrifying experience because, oh my God, well, back in the day, we used to screen on film. Now you screen digitally. So you screen, what that means is you'd have rolls of film, you know, running through the projector, you know, um, with sellotape. And, 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 and I'm just worried the film's going to break, you know, and it's going to snap. And the film seemed to play quite well, you know, on that first screen. It played quite well. People were laughing, you know, and they um, and, and I remember Pete and I look at each other and think, oh, this is going really well, you know. And uh, and at the end of it, um, the lights go up and everybody fills in these scorecards and they give them back to the, the guy that's organising the screening. 
and then he comes over and he and with us and, and it, all the audience leave and then you know Peter Howitt, director of me, Sydney Pollock, Bill Horberg, the heads of Paramount, people at Miramax, they all sit there. And the and 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 the guy the the guy from um, the, the screen research group gives the scores to to somebody and they go yeah well yeah you know and Jerry Lansing addresses us all like this powerful woman in you know, Paramount she says um, okay she says you know what Peter you've done very well but it can do better it's just brutal you get absolutely slaughtered some one one guy wrote he said. God, I hated this movie. It was like an overly long toothpaste commercial. <laughs> Which I know probably is, I don't know. Um, so you then you go, okay, what are they? And sit, well, I remember sitting with all these cards, like 250 of these cards, pieces of paper, and Sydney's going through them all. He's going, oh my God, they hated it. Oh my God, this guy really didn't like it. Listen to this. Oh my God, they hated that. Oh my God. Oh, they're hating Jeannie. They're hating Jeannie. I said, they're meant to hate Jeannie. She's not nice in it. She said, what do you mean she's not hating? That's good, isn't it? No, 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 no. After the harsh feedback from test screenings, there was some uncertainty around the next steps. John Smith was worried this would be the end of his contributions to sliding doors. I remember being in the Miramax office and I was pretty terrified that I was going to get fired because that's what happens, right? <laughs> you get fired, right? Such a complicated film. It's kind of a big film. I think it was one of the first films that Miramax and Paramount had done together. And I remember the exec producer at Miramax saying to Sidney Pollock, and I was in the room, I remember this, he said to Sidney Pollock, he goes, okay, Sidney, he says, uh, we need some, to do some changes. And we do, you discuss, you discuss the changes, you discuss the things you've got to change, like you've got, you know, you're going to make, you know, Gwyneth a bit warmer, or you've got to make, you know, you know, John Lynch a bit warm and John Hannah a bit clearer because no one would understand his Scottish accent, right? <laughs> so, right. So you had to do, we got all those things and, and Sydney said, well, I, I can't, I can't go back to London. And I was like, oh, here we go. It'll be like, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to take the film back to LA and John, thanks a lot, John, but we'll take it from here. One of those Hollywood stories where they get rid of the editor, you know. And Sydney went, oh no, John's got to come. Can't do it without John. We then moved the cut to Los Angeles to Paramount Pictures, his offices and studios there. And he really came into his own because he he taught me like microsurgery, like editing to the point of a frame. Don't come off there. Come off before her eye does that because she starts to look weird. When to come off, when to come in. It's microsurgery. And I just stood and watched in awe as he made my film, you know, 10 times better than uh, I could have made it on my own. The film premiered at Sundance Film Festival in January 1998, and for all the Sliding Doors family, this was truly a dream come true. I'll tell you the best thing was going to Sundance with Pete and opening Sundance with the film. That was just, ah, that was like highlight of my life. You know, that was amazing. That was so great. It's the best feeling I've ever had in my life. I and mean, you can't, you can't top it. I'll never be able to top Opening Sundance was a, a dream. Sundance was the most incredible feeling, the most incredible experience, because it was like a dream. We were sitting there opening Sundance Film Festival. Peter, I think, went off to meet Robert Redford and there were all these people there and it was it was being fated as this you know, good film and it was it was like a dream come true. It was it was amazing, absolutely fantastic. 
And on the 27th of April 1998, in Leicester Square, London, Peter's dream came full circle when the film was premiered. This premiere is very, very important because it's in England and it's a British film. We're very, very sure that we can. When I first left school, I used to walk through Leicester Square every morning. I used to work at the BBC at Broadcasting House and I'd walk up Regent Street to, from Charing Cross. Sometimes I'd get the bus, sometimes I'd walk through Leicester Square. And quite often they'd be setting up uh, the marquees for a premiere that night. And you'd go home and you'd see it on the news, on News at 10. And I used to think, walking through Leicester Square, God, what must that be like to have a premiere in Leicester Square. So I had a little dream in my head, even as a 17-year-old. One day, I'd love to have a premiere. So to then actually pull up on a red carpet outside that very cinema that you used to walk by as a 17-year-old at the premiere of your own film, it's just the best feeling, especially after the journey you've been on and the, and the, and the knockbacks and the shut doors and the no, forget it, go away. There's so much disappointment you have to deal with and rejection that you have to deal with, but you have to find a way of keeping going. If you want to get to that premiere, you want to get to Sundance, you have to, you just have to not give up. It's all, it, to me, it taught me about not giving up. I remember having a conversation with my son when he was about 13 when it came out. I said, listen, I hope this has taught you to never give up on anything. And 25 years ago, on the 1st of May, the film was released in cinemas for audiences to enjoy. It was the highest grossing local production of the year in the UK, with a total box office gross in excess of £12 million. That's the equivalent of over £22 million today. And who can forget that infamous soundtrack featuring Aqua's Turn Back Time, which I had on CD along with Barbie Girl and Dido's Thank You. It's safe to say that the film changed the lives of the people who were part of it, and they all went on to have amazing careers. Making the film completely changed my career because suddenly you get taken seriously. It doesn't make making films any easier because you've still got to have the, the projects, but it definitely changed. It, people take you seriously because it's so hard to make a film. So anyone who can get a film made, suddenly you're in a different, different group of people. It changed my life completely mainly because it came out and did so well, especially in England and in, in Australia and a few other countries. And it did, it changed everything. Suddenly I had a deal with Miramax and I was being sent scripts. And I remember my agent sending me a fact saying, we've had your first million dollar offer to direct a movie. And it was a very similar script, so I didn't want to do it. But like, really? A million? What, for me? Who do I, do I have to share that with anyone? No, that's all for you. You know, it was just, it was just mental. Everyone I spoke to had so many cherished memories from the set and spoke so fondly of the film. But I also wanted to know what was everyone's favourite scenes that were shot? I think some of the bigger scenes, the bigger set piece scenes, like the restaurant opening and stuff like that, where there's a lot kind of going... I loved all the John Lynch and Doug McFarlane stuff as well, you know, all that, all their stuff. John Lynch just being the, the meanest, nastiest, horriblest boyfriend you could imagine. And yet he was so... He was so self-pitying about it. I loved all their scenes. Are you some peculiar, thus far, undefined breed of dickhead? You have two head problems. One, that was close. Very close. As an audience member, one of my favourite scenes is when Helen follows Jerry to the library and he calls Lydia from a payphone. 
I just love how serious Jerry is being, but from the audience's perspective, his actions are so comical and I always laugh out loud. One of my favourite scenes of John being like deer in the headlights, if you like, is obviously when he comes into the kitchen, that scene which we I think we choreographed it quite well and it was very well shot and, and by everybody. And he goes over to the window and pulls the blind up and she's standing right there. Um, and he goes, Jesus Christ! What? No, no, Jesus Christ, that's great, that's fantastic. And she will come over from over there, round to him. And as she does, he'll kind of panic and come round here, ready to do that whole business, so that he's right by the phone when the phone rings. So as soon as he sees that it's okay, he kind of goes off, thank God for that. Suddenly the phone is ringing. That was really funny to film. Yeah, we had a good time. And I was outside. I remember neighbors, I was out on a balcony and there was sort of a courtyard and other uh, homes behind. So everybody was watching out their window. So I would just have to stand outside this window until, you know, ready. And then I would sort of move in. Hello. I really need to talk to you. <laughs> Hi, Russ, how are you? I think my favourite scene of the film is that the very end scene in the hospital when she walks into the lift and John Hannah's there. It still gives me, gives me kind of goosebumps thinking about it. That little uh, scene in the elevator at the end, you know, uh, you know, no one expects this Spanish Inquisition, I think says it all, where she, or it's almost like she's heard that before, even though it, not in that life, but in another life. I am so excited to be partnering with TFL for this series. 2023 marks the 160th anniversary of the Tube, the world's first and most famous. And TFL and the London Transport Museum are delivering a programme of activities throughout the year to celebrate the London Underground's role as the lifeblood of the city, connecting Londoners with work and leisure opportunities for the past 160 years. Activities will be themed around the Tube's innovation, its contribution to improving the environment, how it connects people and places and supports with diversity and inclusion, and its unique and world-renowned architecture and design. So keep your eyes peeled for activities throughout the year and how you can celebrate with TFL. And look out for our bonus podcast episode coming out very soon. The sliding doors theory presents itself in so many other forms and has done for thousands of years. But what Peter Howitt's creation does is really bring to life and give a neat term to the theory that encompasses parallel lives, the butterfly effect and the multiverse. The term sliding doors moment became a popularised term in the late 20th century after the film was released. And Wikipedia describes it as meaning seemingly inconsequential moments that nonetheless alter the trajectory of future events. We can relate this to so many everyday moments that we have, and moments in history, good or bad, like Princess Diana's last-minute decision to make that trip to Paris, or Argentina scoring their penalty to win in the World Cup final. In 2004, the science fiction thriller written by Eric Bress and Jay McRae Gruber, The Butterfly Effect, brought the chaos theory to life. 
The butterfly effect is the sensitive dependence on initial conditions in which a small change in one state of deterministic system can result in large differences in a later state, and the theory dates back to the 1800s. Essentially, in plainer terms, everything we do has an effect. Something as small as a flap of a butterfly wing or the closing of a tube door can change your life forever. The theory of potential parallel universes that constitute reality is often called a multiverse. According to some, the idea of infinite worlds was first suggested back by a Greek philosopher in the 16th century. For some, the idea of the multiverse is too much to comprehend, thinking that there could be hundreds if not thousands of parallel universes in coexistence when it's hard enough to just deal with one. When I really think back to the concept of parallel lives and link this back to the film, one thing that's always stood out to me is that, spoiler alert, one of the Helens dies. Is this a suggestion that if we miss or catch the train that could determine our death? I asked Peter around his thoughts around this particular angle of the film. You know, you have a horrible thought sometimes. Oh, I just had this horrible thought. Are they coming from a version of your life that you're not physically living, but subconsciously is going on somewhere else? All these other strands of your life where you made slightly different decisions. The version of me walking down Charing Cross Road that doesn't cross to the phone box. Did that, does that version of me that carried on down the road, he just doesn't exist at all? I don't know. But it's fun to play around with that. And you don't often get the opportunity to do that. And Sliding Doors gives you the chance to play with those everyday deja vu, funny thoughts, chills going down your spine as you have a weird feeling, dreams that are, you can't explain. Were you ever worried that it would have like, you know, a, a bit of too much of a deeper meaning? Or was it kind of because there is also another theory that... You know, and again, I might be wrong with this. At the very end of the film when Helen's, you know, lying in bed and she has these recollections of certain things that have happened. For me, I was like, oh, does that mean that, you know, she's been dreaming about what would have happened if that, you know, there's lots of different ways to interpret it. There are actually. And I'll be honest with you, those little flashes that she has of the train coming in and things that she actually hasn't been to herself. Um, they were Sidney Pollack's idea, actually. I, that wasn't actually my idea. And, and they are potentially, not confusing, but they do suggest that... Because, you know, I think it's when we get deja vu and you go, ooh, I've, I've, why do I know? I've been here before. This has happened before. Well, maybe... And you, well, it can't have done because I've never been here before. Well, maybe you have been here before in a life that you're not consciously living, in another version of your life that you're not aware of. You have been to Fat Boy's Diner. You have been on the, uh, the Albert Bridge. You have, why am I having these thoughts at this moment of near death? And I, to be honest with you, Jenny, I kind of leave it to the audience. So as an audience member, what do you believe in? Timing, fate, coincidence, everything happening for a reason? There are so many beliefs that we all have about the moments in our lives, good or bad. Here's another clip from film reporter Tim Lammers' 1998 interview with Gwyneth Paltrow on her take on the theory. You know, so what this movie kind of made me think about was when I would get in bed at the end of the day, I would think, you know what, I did everything right today. You know, I didn't, all my decisions today were right. Because I, people always say like, oh, if I just left three minutes later, I wouldn't sure. have gotten in the accident. And I think, well, I, I left at the right time. You know, I came home at the right time. I made all the right choices. Does it change your outlook on how you approach things now? 
Um, it does in a way, just that, because it just sort of reinforced that notion of, you know, everything happens the way it's meant to happen. It all happens for a reason. Um, it just kind of makes me feel even safer, you know, within that. And our guests are no different. My beliefs are that things do tend to happen for a reason. There is some sort of, um, there is there is a destiny, but there's also a choice. That's David Hirschfelder, the composer of Sliding Door's original score. I do think the universe is built on some sort of principle of, yes, there's a sequence of events that can and will happen, but then there's, you know, and that's the sort of the, the mechanical universe that Isaac Newton came up with. And then this is, there's this idea that, um, I, I guess, with relativity, the Einstein theory, and then the later the, the quantum mechanics theory, where there is an element of chance, where electrons can split and go in two directions, which is an amazing, bizarre actual characteristic of quantum mechanics. So sliding doors was so great for its time and still stands the test of time because I think the theory of sliding doors is that you can follow two tributaries in the multiverse, if you like, and see what happened in that one and then what happened in that one. And then in some way, there is a parallel. I absolutely believe in chance and timing and choices. You know, the choices every single day is a sliding door moment. Every single day, I can I can think of, you know, when you hear about them in life of a road that you could have taken and and thank God you didn't. I had a girlfriend in the 90s who had a tattoo on her wrist that said choice. And, and, and it was just about, you know, your life is a series of choices and, and roads not taken and fork in the roads every single day. Um, and you hope to do your best to make the right choices. But I'm absolutely of that mindset. I believe what will happen will happen, you know, and, and, and we are, you know, we're all on this kind of timeline and journey and, and our destiny is, is, is out of our hands. You're meant to meet the person you're meant to meet or be at a certain place at a certain time. And that's fate. That's, that's all of our fate. That's our sliding doors moment, you know, and they happen every day, don't they? We're meant to be where we're meant to be at that time, and there's nothing we can do about it. What I didn't realise for about 20 years was that it's actually a kind of sci-fi. <laughs> it's about the multiverse, you know? It's it's about, it's, there's a kind of quantum reality, and I mean, I, I quite like sci-fi, and I'm, I've read quite a few books that, that sort of do the multiverse thing. But the thing I can't get my head round with it is the sort of infinite multiverse, you know? I mean, I think it is a very comforting... I mean, it's a lovely, funny love story. And it does have that, you know, destiny about it. People just like that idea, you know? You you can have it as, like, perfect as you like, you know? And I think that's... A, that's one of the kind of warming things about that is that we can we can you know comfort ourselves with maybe it's all better somewhere else (laughs) 
I have always been a believer that everything happens for a reason and that we can learn from every situation in life, good or bad. However, it's not always easy to believe in this theory when awful things happen. But some moments just feel like they are serendipitous, where all the stars align for something to happen. And for some people, it's just simply having belief. Whether that's through religion, traditions or spiritually, having the belief that things will work out the way they are meant to is what gets people through each day. Sliding Doors touches on so many of these angles, but most of all, it ignites the belief of soulmates. Helen and James were always meant to be, and were going to meet at some point in their lives when the time was right, and this is why the film stands the test of time. I was in Phoenix, I think, in Arizona one day, and this one guy, he was quite cynical, and he said, yeah, the film's good, I liked it. He said, I don't, I don't buy into all that fate, destiny, you know, where you're meant to be, where you're not meant to be, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, fair enough, fair enough. I'm not sure that I necessarily would have before this, um, but that's fair enough. I said, but let me ask you this question. About five and a half years ago, I was walking down a road in London on the way to a tube station, and I decided to make a phone call in a phone box, and I crossed over the road and nearly got hit by a car. And five and a half years later, because of that decision I made, you are sitting in this room right now talking to me. So if that hadn't happened to me five and a half years ago, where would you be right now? In the last part of this special anniversary podcast, we're going to do my favourite thing and hear from the cast, crew and special celebrity guests on what their Sliding Doors moments have been. Tune in next time. Thank you so much for listening to Sliding Doors 25. Thanks to Mags Creative, a podcast production and promotion company, for their support and a special thanks to Palama Kaufman for bringing the show to life. A special thank you also to the cast and crew of Sliding Doors who are involved in this series and to my special celebrity guests for their contributions. You can listen to my podcast Sliding Doors where I interview guests about the three Sliding Doors moments in their lives wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. There's over 60 episodes for you to enjoy and please remember to rate, review, subscribe and share this podcast with a fellow Sliding Doors fan. 